following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. something to you that you might already have noticed. I, I feel a bit uncomfortable. I want to explain what I mean by that. I've spent the, the last few weeks in Africa. I've been back now for a couple of weeks, but uh, when I'm over there with, with our friends over there, they like to dress me in their clothing, and their clothing could be painted on. I mean, it's a little snug, right? So I, I feel a little odd to be in jacket this morning. So if you see me fidget a little bit, I got to kind of get back in form. And just bear with me on that. But as we get into the word, uh, I want to I believe God for something great. And I just want to ask you that in preparation. I mean, sometimes we come together and out of routine, we just move from one thing to the next. Well, the music's over, so let's do communion and then let's bless the kids. Oh, and let's uh, give, the, give the offering together and then we're in the word. But I want to ask you, are you wanting God to touch your life with his word this morning? Is there something you'd love to see God do in your life this morning? A reason why you could say, God, I believe that you have me here in this place right now to affect this part of my life. It could be marriage, it could be family, it could be business, it could be ministry, it could be anything. But I want us to have an anticipation and a desire for God to do something great as we get into the word this morning. And then let's trust that, that the rest is up to God, that he takes the word and he does something great. I want to believe that along with you and see God do something magnificent for each one of us. So here's a few things that we're going to find as we get into the Word. I want to give these things to you. If you're taking notes, you can write these things down. I encourage uh, writing down uh, notes as we get into the Word because God's always speaking to us individually. We're here. We're going to receive a message together, and that's going to be great. But personally and individually, there's opportunities for God to reveal to you things in His Word and I want to make sure that we give that a, a, an opportunity by writing down some notes and revisiting them in our own time. One thing that we're going to find in the Word is what we need to live God-pleasing lives. I mean, if that question were to be asked, you know, this group of people, do you want your life to be pleasing to God? If you stood in front of Jesus today, if you, if you stood in front of your Heavenly Father today, would you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? I mean, the answer for all of us is going to be yes. Nobody is thinking, well, you know, I could take it or leave it. I mean, you desire that. You, you, you want that. You want to do things God's way and be pleasing in His sight. There's something that we need in order to be pleasing to God in our lives. We're going to find that in the Word. Another thing that we're going to find is what we need in order to be saved, or what we need for salvation. Now, oftentimes when we talk about salvation, I want to point out that that's not limited to being born again. I mean, I was born again, and that's one time. I remember when it happened, it was one time. Now, throughout my life, God has saved me from many things. So the salvation of God is not a one-time thing. It's something that exists in our lives in real time, here and now today, and even in the future. God is delivering us, and we're going to find out what's necessary, what we need in order to come to know that salvation. A third thing we're going to find is what Jesus has a monopoly on. I mean, if Jesus were a businessman, he would have a monopoly on this market. Meaning that he has it all. There's no competition. If you're looking for this item, you can only go to one place. 
what Jesus has a monopoly on. So what we need in order to please God, I mentioned that as the first thing we're going to find. I want to start there. What we need in order to live God-pleasing lives, if you want to take it down for your notes, you're welcome to. If you want to turn to it in the Scripture, I encourage that. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 11, and I want to look at verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Uh, If you're turning there, you'll get to Hebrews chapter 11 and you'll find these words. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It goes on to say, for the one who comes to God must believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, I want to take that first passage of Scripture, and I'd like for that to to be the base and the foundation of what we're pursuing this morning. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, the word impossible is really not found in the New Testament except to know that nothing is impossible, right? I mean, you hear Jesus say nothing is impossible for God. You hear Jesus say nothing is impossible for you. But now we come and we see impossible as an issue. It's a challenge. This is not even going to be an option for us to live God-pleasing lives if our lives don't have faith. Now, this becomes an issue and a challenge for me. I know that God's called me to be pleasing in His sight, that He sent Jesus to the cross and pulled Him out from the grave, bringing life and salvation into the world. And then Jesus comes and pours out the Holy Spirit upon us, upon the earth, and and here we are now standing today. Why is it that this faith is so necessary in order for us to live God-pleasing lives? I want to find out about faith, what it is, and why it's so important. I mean, to live a life that would be pleasing to God is our ultimate goal. And to see this passage of Scripture that we could never achieve that goal unless we have faith, it makes me want to pursue faith in my life. So faith is a priority. I mean, it's very important. It's an urgent matter. I want us to find it in the Scripture. I want us to receive a direction from the Scripture. And I want us to apply the Word for the purpose of living lives of faith. it's It's a huge priority. I'd like for you to take this passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 14, verse 23. It reveals the importance of faith. I mean, it separates faith from everything else. Now, when you can separate something from everything else, it stands out as unique. Faith is now separated from everything else on the earth. I want you just to think about that concept for a moment. Meaning that it's not sharing this attribute with anything else. It makes it stand out as one of a kind, as absolutely unique. There's faith and then there's everything else. Romans chapter 14 verse 23, the end of this passage reads like this. Whatever is not faith is sin. Whatever is not faith is sin. So we see something important here as we're pursuing faith, as we're looking to learn about faith, as we're looking to bring faith into our lives, that there's faith and then there's sin. There's faith and then there's sin. You can divide every single action, every single uh, phrase of speech, every single thought into two categories. It's either going to be faith or sin. This is revealing to me that faith is a pretty important thing to understand. It's a pretty important thing to pursue. I mean, there's just a dividing line between it and everything else. It's the difference between doing things God's way and doing things the world's way. It's the difference between doing things in righteousness and doing things in sin. 
So as we pursue faith, I want us to come into an understanding that God hasn't called us to, to need faith, to require faith without giving us faith. There's something that every single person in this room has, every man, woman, and child ever born on the earth has faith. I want you to see it in the scripture, Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it reads like this, God has given each man a measure of faith. God's given every person a measure of faith. So that God would require us to operate in faith is not to set us up for failure because everyone from the start has been given a measure of faith. Now the question is, what do we do with our faith once we receive it? When we're born into this world, given a measure of faith, what is it that we do? Faith can be multiplied. It can be increased. In fact, in the scripture, you'll hear the disciples ask Jesus to do something. You'll see in in chapter 17 of the book of Matthew, you'll, you'll hear of faith being compared to a seed. And the disciples are asking for Jesus to do a work inside of their hearts. It's amazing to me what provokes this. I mean, they see tremendous miracles. They see food multiplied to feed thousands. They see the sick and the lame ministered to and healed and rise up. They they see all of these miraculous things. And none of those miraculous things cause them to go up to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need more faith. But Jesus begins to talk to them and he speaks to them about something. Something that obviously is very difficult. I mean, there's not a faith issue when they see food multiplied. There's not a faith issue when they see the sick healed. There's not a faith issue when they see the unclean cleansed. There's not a faith issue when they see the miraculous. But when Jesus speaks about forgiveness, all of a sudden faith is in question. Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he's talking to them about forgiving, saying, you know, if your brother sins against you and he comes to you and repents, you need to forgive him. If he sins against you seven times and he comes to you seven times, you need to forgive him. It's after hearing these words, this challenge to forgive those who have hurt us, who've wounded us, who've wronged us, who've slandered us, who've cut us in deep ways emotionally, physically, in every way that is destructive. These people have oppressed and brought stumbling block upon stumbling block into our lives. And you're telling me that I need to find it in me to forgive them. The disciples say this when they hear these words, Oh God, Jesus, Lord, increase my faith. I find that interesting. That when seeing miracles, there's not a desire for faith to be increased. But when being called to forgive, it's, nece- it's a necessary, it's a, it's a necessity. It becomes a, a vital issue. I need this put into my life because that's so unnatural for me to do. I'm going to need a work of God in my heart. I'm going to need you to increase my faith. Now, here's the good news. The good news in this situation is that Jesus didn't step back and say, sorry, can't do it. You're on your own. But the word reveals to us ways that we can see our faith increase. What we need in order to please God, what he's, he's given us to begin with. Remember, Jesus compared it to a seed. Every single one of us, according to the scripture, has been given a measure of faith. Every one of us has been given a, a seed, something to start with. Now, what do we do with it? How do we grow and increase the faith that's so necessary for us to live God-pleasing lives? The word gives us some instruction. 
Faith can be grown, it can be increased by hearing the Word of God. I'll, I'll give you a passage of Scripture out of Romans. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It reads like this, Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. As we hear the Scripture, our faith can be stirred. It can be expanded and it can be grown. It's one of the reasons why staying in the Scripture is so important, that the Bible is not a one and done book. But that as we hear the Word of God, as we, as we receive the Word of God, as it enters into our life, it stirs and activates that seed which God has blessed us with, that seed of faith. And as you know, with any kind of seed, the need to tend to that seed in order to see it come to its full fruition requires consistent activity and action, intentional action. I often look back on past days, I grew up uh, and pursued agriculture as a young man. I loved farming. Not to be confused with ranching, but farming. If you put your corn in the ground and you go to sleep, the next morning when you wake up, your corn is right where you left it. Cows, not so much. <laughs> farming, I loved farming. But we used to do things. When we took the seed that we had, we would put that seed in a place where it could thrive. You would position it correctly. The faith that God has placed in you needs to be positioned correctly to thrive. Who are you hanging out with? Who are you spending your time with? Is it a place where that seed that God's put inside of you can thrive? Or is it a place that has no nourishment, no nutrition, nothing to sustain it? Will it just sit there until it's rotten? It's the reason why the body of Christ is so important. My friends are within the body of Christ. The people I hang out with are within the body of Christ. I've known people who, who have, have wondered why I don't do things with this person or that person over there. And the truth is I'm busy doing things with these people right here because this is where my seed thrives. And then once the seed would sprout, we would do things. We would, to help it, to help it to take root and to grow, we would water it. We would actually provide what it needs. And that's why we need to stay in the Word. That seed of faith in each side of us needs to, to be sustained. We water it with the Word. When we receive the Word of God, it grows stronger and stronger and stronger. And then there was another thing that we, we would do. We would call the, it was the term uh, that we used was cultivate. I don't know if you're familiar with that term here. Cultivation. And when you're cultivating in, in commercial agriculture, you're generally using tractors and special implements or plows that go between the rows. And they use what we called sweeps. And they looked like V's. And those V's would go down into the dirt and they would turn over all of the dirt that was beside the plant and it would get rid of the weeds. Now, when I was a kid, uh, they put me on a tractor, and it was the first time I ever cultivated. I destroyed the crop. I mean, you only have an inch or two on this side or this side, and you're cutting out the actual crop that you want to save. I remember getting done, and, and I was working uh, on this field that belonged to my uncle, and he came, and he was so kind to me. When I was young, I, I, I had eyesight issues, and I wore these glasses that were very thick and heavy. In fact, on occasion, I'd have to kind of pick my head up because they were so heavy. But he pulled me aside, and instead of saying, oh, you fool, you destroyed my crop, he pulled me aside, and he just said, I need to ask you something. Can you see? 
And I told him, I think so. <laughs> but that cultivation was intentional. It couldn't be done in a sloppy way or you would destroy the crop. It had to be, it had to be precise. As we take the seed of faith that God's given us and we put it in the right environment for it to grow. And then we make the, the daily provision for it to thrive. Then we go through and intentionally select what gets to be with it and what doesn't. Is this of the world or is this of the kingdom? If it's of the world, I'm going to pluck it out. If it's of the kingdom, it's welcome to stay. That kind of cultivation, that kind of provision, that kind of care and intentionality is what made the crop thrive and produce. And it's the same for our faith. We've all been given that seed. What do we do with it? I want to define faith because really we're talking about faith. If we pull from the scripture, we'll see what could easily be listed as a definition out of the book of Hebrews. If you want to take it down for your notes, you're welcome to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it reads like this. Now, faith is, right? Did you hear the word is there? You're still turning. The pages are turning. Now, faith is. We just say the word is. Yes, yeah, is. So you're about to see what, what faith is, what defines it, what identifies it. Faith is. Now, your Bible probably uses the word substance there. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's a fine definition if we understand words like substance and evidence. But there's a better word for substance. Now, as you're studying the Scripture, there's a couple of things that are important to use. I mean, we've often talked about this. It's important to use a dictionary, right? I mean, just to understand what a word means. How can we understand the word if we don't know the words that make up the word, right? So we need a dictionary. Then you can also use what's called a concordance. A concordance pulls from the original word and its original language and gives you the richness of its original meaning. And I want to tell you the original meaning of the word substance there is under structure. That's a weird word, right? I mean, substance is just easier, it's cleaner, so we translate it substance. But now, faith is the understructure of things hoped for. If we're not careful and we don't look at that original language, we miss out on something important. Understructure is the foundation. I mean, you're sitting in a building. It's got steel beams and, and it's got an, a, a front and sides and a back and it's been assembled and put together. But this building has an understructure. If you were to pull back this carpet, you'd find concrete. That concrete came first. It was the first thing that was introduced in the construction of this building for the purpose of supporting and holding up everything else. When we read about the definition of faith and we see it not just as a substance, but we see it identified as an understructure or a foundation, it becomes priority as we understand that it comes first. It's what holds everything else up. I mean, anything that's built without that foundation is destined to fall down. Faith is absolute in its importance, and it's necessary in building anything that's meant to last. Faith is the foundation of all the things that we hope for. Then it says it's the evidence of things not seen. I want to give you a definition for evidence. If you look in the dictionary at the word evidence, it, it's defined as follows. An available body of facts or information indicating whether a belief is true or valid. Faith is our evidence. Evidence of the things that we don't see. 
It's stirred inside of us when we put it in the right place, when we make provision for it to thrive, when we keep out all of the things that compete with it so that it can survive, survive, grow, and be fruitful. We see something incredible happen. I want to take a, a little bit of a faith test here. I see it in the Scripture. Just to identify if I'm living a life of faith. I don't offer this as a test to produce any kind of frustration or or shame in anyone, but I think it's a test that we ought to look at. It comes out of the Gospel of Mark, and it's just kind of an issue that is recorded, but it's recorded more for, for our education than simply good reading. Now, Jesus is hanging out with the disciples, and they're having wonderful church services. I mean, the message is great. The people are are present and receiving, and people are being healed, and wonderful things are happening. And as soon as church is over, they're going to the next church service. You see this in Mark chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 35. It says, On that day when evening came, came, Jesus said, Let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them uh, the disciples in a boat. And other boats were with them. And as they got out into the sea, there arose a fierce gale of wind and waves. And they were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up with water. Yet Jesus himself was asleep on the stern of the boat on the cushion. Now as Jesus is asleep, the water is crashing inside of the boat. It's coming in so fast that the boat is filling up. And everyone but Jesus who's asleep is freaking out. Now, this is an interesting passage of Scripture to me. I like to let my imagination run. Because you're dealing with people who have just come off of seeing incredible things. They've been in the most wonderful church services, but now all of a sudden, they're absolutely losing their mind. And that happens in my life, and I'm quite certain that it happens in most people's lives. But we go, one day, everything's good, and just moments later, the sky is falling. I mean, by definition, that's called inconsistent, right? I mean, it is. It's just inconsistent. Things are good. Things are terrible. Things are great. Things are awful. Inconsistent. Now, Jesus gets up. They wake him up, and they yell this out. You know, they're screaming, and they're yelling, and they just, they finally get Jesus up. How can you sleep at a time like this? And they're screaming at him, don't you care that we're dying? I mean, doesn't it bother you even in the slightest that we're going to die here? And they're screaming at him and yelling at him. And just, you know, hours before they're all having a good time. But now here they are and and everything's changed. And it says Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and says to the the sea, hush and be still. Hush to the wind, be still to the sea. And the wind died down and the sea became calm. And then Jesus turned to them. Now as we get to this point, we need to realize Jesus now turned to us. So then Jesus turned to us and he says, Why are you afraid? And how is it that you have no faith? Those are two questions that we need to ask ourselves. To me, that really is the faith test. Can I ask myself those questions when I'm ever in a situation that's inconsistent with who I am as a Christian? Can I ask myself those two questions? Why am I afraid and how is it that I don't have any faith? I mean, if I want to put myself in the position of asking or testing whether or not I live a lifestyle of faith, the question that needs to be asked or what identifies is consistency. Is our life a roller coaster? Do we have these wonderful high times with Jesus one day and then we're in depression the next? Is it up and down, up and down, up 
and down. Because what God has called us to is a life of consistency. I mean, it's a little bit of an odd rabbit trail, but I think it's interesting. The one who is sent to announce the coming of Christ Jesus, he's John the Baptist in the Scripture, he would stand and he would preach something. And he pulled it from the Old Testament. He's revealing what the prophets revealed. He said, let the valleys be filled up and the mountains be laid low. Make straight the way of the Lord. That's what he preached. I mean, it sounds a bit like, like some kind of proverb of some sort that leaves me scratching my head like you opened up a bad fortune cookie. It's like, what is that supposed to mean? But think about it. Let the valleys be filled up. Let the mountains be laid low and make straight the way of the Lord. No more this, but let's have this. No more up and down and up and down and up and down, but let there be consistency. Make straight the way of the Lord. There's something that takes place in our lives when faith takes over. We can be in the midst of the storm and still be consistent. Is it interesting to you that Jesus wasn't out of touch with the waves? He wasn't out of touch with the wind. He wasn't out of touch with the rain. He wasn't out of touch with any part of that storm. He was in the middle of it. But yet he was consistent in his behavior just as he was hours before in the church service that they were preaching. Consistency. God's calling us to the power of a consistent life, to not be tossed around, to not have our high times crushed by low times, but to walk in faith and come to know consistency. Faith is a wonderful thing. In fact, faith is the gateway for the grace of God. I want to show you in the scripture, but I want to explain why this is important. We often talk about God's mercy and His grace. The grace of God is the power of God and the favor of God upon our lives. And for the grace of God to enter into our lives is for the things of God to enter into our lives. And for us to have the grace of God in our lives, we're going to have to have the consistency that comes from faith. I'll give you a passage of scripture here out of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. Now Paul's writing this and he's writing it to us and he says these words, By grace you've been saved through faith. I mentioned before we're going to find out what we need to know God's salvation. We'll find it right here. By grace you've been saved through faith. I want us to consider these words for a moment. I mean, by grace is revealing how the salvation comes, right? It's by grace. But it comes through faith. If our lives are without faith, then there's no way for the grace that comes into our lives bringing salvation to enter in. It would be you came into this building, you entered into this room, and you sat into that chair. You came through that door. If that door were to be locked, if that door were to be sealed, you could never get inside. But we need to see faith as the gateway, the doorway by which the grace of God enters into our life to bring about salvation and deliverance in any circumstance and in any situation. And we need to make sure that that door is wide open. I mean, if, if we were to look at the passage of scriptures concerning grace, we would, we would find some things that are important. I mean, if we were to ask what makes Jesus such a wonderful man, it would be grace. I want to give you a passage of scripture about Jesus as a child. Luke chapter 2 verse 40. It talks about Jesus as a kid. 
And the child, Jesus, continued to grow and become strong. How many of you would love to continue to grow and become strong? I want to grow in the things of God. I want to become strong in the things of God. And the child, Jesus, continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, for the grace of God was upon him. I mean, if you want to bless your kids with anything, bless them with the grace of God. To grow, to become strong, to increase in wisdom. The grace of God that comes through faith. And then we realize Jesus, as he ministers, is bringing grace and operating in grace and all of these things. John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh, speaking of Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as was of the only begotten from the Father. Meaning this is the glory of God. And it goes on to be described as full of grace and truth. When we're full of grace, the glory of God is operating in and through our lives. But all of that grace comes through the doorway, the doorway of faith. That faith that's necessary to please God. That faith that we have all been given, that we need to cherish and see multiplied. Now, oftentimes in churches, faith is is confused with belief. And therefore, people can be put into a a bondage of trying to think harder and believe harder. This came up in our men's group on Saturday. We were discussing it uh, briefly in the group. And I want to look at faith and how we can see faith applied in our lives, what lifestyle we need. Jesus spoke about faith in a situation, and we can learn a lot from it. In fact, he identified a situation where a man was identified as having great faith, meaning the doorway for the grace of God to be in his life and through his life was big and wide open. And I want that for my life and for yours. So the key to great faith, I want us to find that in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke chapter 7. We'll find it beginning in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 10. And when Jesus had completed his teachings in the hearing of all of the people, he went to a certain land. And as he was on his way, a soldier's slave who was highly regarded by the soldier was sick and about to die. When the soldier heard about Jesus, I want you just to say heard. Can you say heard? Heard. Yeah, remember faith comes by hearing, right? So when this guy heard about Jesus, he sent some of the elders to have Jesus come and lay hands on or save his son. And when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He's a worthy man. He's done great things for the kingdom. He loves our nation. He's worthy. Please come. Now in verse 6, it says, Jesus started on his way. And while he was with them, he wasn't far off from the house when the soldier sent and said, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I didn't even consider myself worthy to come out to meet you. But then he says these words, But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am also a man placed under authority. I have soldiers under me, and when I say to one, go, he goes. And when I say to another, come, he comes. When I say to one, do this, he does it. After these words are revealed to Jesus, it says, Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled. We ought to pause there and think about the power of the words that Jesus just heard. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled. The words began with, Now I also 
am under authority. That means this man understood something. He understood that Jesus was under authority. He equated himself with Jesus in this situation. Realizing that all of the power and all the authority that Jesus operates in is only because it comes from someone above him, God the Father. He goes on to say, and I understand authority because I too have people that are under me and when I tell them to go, they go. When I tell them to come, they come. When I tell them to do this, they do this. When Jesus heard these words, he marveled. And then he said this. He stood in front of the congregation. He said, I say to you, in all of the nation, I have not found such great faith. Great faith. Great faith. And what's amazing to me is that the man who has the great faith never once talked about faith, never once talked about believing, never once talked about thinking. He talked about authority. I've come to realize something as I've, as I've pursued the Word and as I've grown in ministry and in Christianity and as I've grown as a, a husband and a father, I've come to see what great faith is. Great faith is a, a, a life of great faith in Jesus Christ is a life in which Jesus Christ has great authority in. The more authority we give to Jesus in our life, the greater faith we walk in. As this man stood and spoke about authority, Jesus heard it and responded concerning the man's faith. God's calling us to do great and incredible things. Are we able to trust Him and give Him authority? When He tells us to go, do we go? When He tells us to speak, do we speak? When He tells us to do this, do we do that? It's that understanding, it's that application that brings us to a place of living a life of great faith that causes Jesus to marvel and say, Look at her. Look at him. I've never seen such great faith. There's a reason why this is so important. Because like is identified by this man of great faith, there's an understanding that we will only have the authority that we're under. You'll only have the authority that you're under. I mean, Jesus is walking in the power of God and the authority of God's kingdom. Throughout His ministry, the words He's speaking are powerful. He casts out devils and they flee. The sick are being healed. The unclean are being cleansed. The power of God is being released upon the earth in magnificent ways. And when Jesus is asked about it, He says things like this in John chapter 5, verse 19. Truly, truly, I can't do anything on my own. Unless it's something that I see the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these are the things that I do in like manner. If we don't let the, the, the idea there of how Jesus is speaking puzzle us, if we just take it and dissect it and understand what it is He's saying, He's basically saying, I can't do any of this by myself. But because I'm under God's authority, only doing what He tells me to do, only saying what He tells me to say, only going where He tells me to go, that's why there's power, that's why there's effect, that's why there's fruit. And for us as believers, we have the same opportunity to have fruitful lives, fruitful lives in our marriages, in our families, in our businesses, and God has called us to have fruitful lives in our Christianity, to be ministering everywhere we go. The authority that we walk in is only limited by the authority that we're under. Can we place ourselves under the authority of Jesus Christ? Can He truly be our King, our wonderful Counselor? 
Can we hear him and respond? When he says go, do we go? When he says come, do we come? When he says speak, do we speak? When we come to a place where we're responding to our king, where we're granting our lives, uh, uh, giving Jesus access to our lives to have his authority rule and reign, we're opening up the door to live lives of great faith, lives that are pleasing to God, lives that open up the door for the grace of God to flow and operate through us. I told you before we're going to find what Jesus has a monopoly on. I want to close with this. Jesus was crucified and he was put into the ground for three days. God raised him up. And upon standing before his disciples, he made a declaration. And when you consider the declaration that he makes, we ought to consider the importance of such a declaration. In such a moment, that the words that you speak would be the ultimate in priority, the most important thing that you could share. Jesus did not come out of the tomb, stand before his disciples and say, all of your sins are forgiven. He didn't come and stand and say that the devil has been defeated, though all of those things would have been true and wonderful statements. He stood before his disciples and he made this true declaration that we ought to uh, uh, put into our hearts and our minds and let it affect all of our thinking. He said, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given unto me. That tells me something concerning any aspect of my life. I can put myself under the authority of Jesus Christ to operate in faith. I can put myself under his authority in my marriage to operate in faith and see the grace of God prevail. I can put myself under the authority of Jesus Christ with my children so that I can operate in faith and see the grace of God prevail. I can put myself under the authority of Jesus Christ concerning business and I can operate in faith and see the grace of God prevail. I can put myself under the authority of Jesus Christ in any situation, in any circumstance, because all authority has been given unto him. And I can position myself to walk in faith and open up the door for the grace of God to prevail. And that's what I want to see in my life. And it's what I pray to God we see in all of our lives together. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at Champions